This past week, I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with the executive director of Slow Food USA, Anna Mule. For those of you who don't know, Slow Food is an international organization founded in Italy in the 80s as sort of a counter movement to the fast food chains that were moving in and disrupting the traditional foodways of Europe. Today, Slow Food spans 160 countries, spreading the message of eating food that is good, clean, and fair for all. The US branch has 150 chapters across the country and convenes working groups like the Slow Food Youth Network, the Cooks Alliance, School Gardens, Food and Farm Policy, and Slow Food Turtle Island for those indigenous to North America. Their Arc of Taste initiative supports biodiversity in our food system by cataloging and highlighting rare varieties of fruits and vegetables. Every year they host Slow Food Nations in Denver, which is an event to celebrate local artisans and host panels on various facets of slow food. Another fun project they're working on right now is partnering with Airbnb to provide regional foraging and cooking experiences, so look out for those next time you travel. Anna has been with Slow Food USA for nearly four years and has a background in digital marketing, journalism, and ethnomusicology, but I'll let her tell you more about her background and how she got into the, this work in the food movement. I do have to apologize in advance for the quality of the audio on this episode. We were recording in a pretty echoey room, so I will be aware of that and avoiding it in the future. Okay, thank you so much for listening. I have more episodes coming your way very soon. Hello, Anna. Thank you so much for joining me today on Bite Size Food Policy. Hi, Lana. Thanks for having me on. So first of all, just so the viewers can know a little bit of background info on you, how did you get started in this work at Slow Food? Yeah, so my background is in ethnomusicology and journalism, um, which really basically means a combination of storytelling and culture. You're really looking at how culture intersects with um, people's daily lives and how it shows up in uh, art, but now looking at how culture shows up in food has been really interesting. And when I started with Slow Food, I was a communications director, so it's been really fun to get to tell the stories of Slow Food through that cultural lens in particular. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of people go about their daily lives and food isn't a very big consideration for them. They eat things on the go and either don't look at the labels, don't think about how it's really affecting their bodies. So I'm curious from your perspective, why is food something that people should put a lot of consideration and thought into? Yeah, we are literally what we eat. Um, and so I think beginning to understand the implications of what you put in your body is so important both for the environment but also for our neighborhoods and our societies and also for us as individuals with our own health and well-being. So it's really um, covers a wide range of, of reasons to care about life. You know, it is life, it is what gives us life and it is um, what drives the environment. Mm -hmm. So what would you to say, some, say to someone who's interested in eating good quality, fair food, um, 
basically, how would you, how would the average person start to slow foodize their diet? Slow foodize your diet. I love that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it starts at a at a very practical level. What what you're buying at the grocery store every week, and really, you know, trying to understand where that food comes from and what are the implications of the food purchases that you make. So it could be as simple as looking at the meat that you buy. Um, is that sourced from you know, one of these big factory farms or is a source from a really sustainable um, farmer and starting to understand how to read labels is a good step in that direction. Going to your farmer's market and talking to farmers and starting to understand, you know, what does seasonal food mean? How do I know yeah. what's in season now? You know, with our global economy, it's hard to know when a certain thing is in season because you always see it in the grocery store. But going to your farmer's market and developing relationships with farmers is a really good way to start to do that. And it's really fun, too, because they're awesome Absolutely. people. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, once once that level is there, I think there's kind of like a step two in terms of like being involved. And this is what you, got, what you do in the policy um, committee, especially, is like advocating for better food choices and lobbying um, your um, representatives in Congress and being involved on a more political level. You know, we say vote yeah. with your vote. Your vote yeah. is so important. Um, so Not just your fork. Exactly. <laughs> vote with your fork, sure. But also vote with your vote and um, get to know how policy influences our food choices. Um, so Slow Food, the way that you're organized is you have chapters all over the country and you also have different working groups for specific areas of food that are um, kind of span different geographies and regions. So you have Slow Fish, Slow Gardens, um, the Slow Food Youth Network. Is there a branch of Slow Food that's particularly dear to you? Yeah, you're going to make me think of favorite. And I don't think <laughs> I can. I'm going to talk about Slow Fish because we're working on the Slow Fish conference right now. Slow okay. Fish hosts an event every other year, and this year, 2020, will be in New Hampshire in March. And I'm really excited. This is a gathering of fisher harvesters from all over North America who come together to talk specifically about sustainable fishing practices. And you know, I my knowledge of slow fish is not in depth yet, so I'm really excited to get to know people and um, figure out how we can support them on the national level. Yeah, totally. Is that the fishtable that I've been hearing <laughs> about? The fishtable is the last part of this event. It's okay. A more public facing. Yes, fishtable. I love so. that. Great name. <laughs> So is there something in the food movement that's going on lately that you've been really excited about? This could be an initiative that someone's bringing up, uh, a new nonprofit, or even just an idea, a book you've read, anything like that? I'm really interested to follow, you know, we've been thinking a lot about equity, inclusion, and justice in slow food, and to think how we can be more intentional about um, being really open and welcoming, not only in the people that we serve and work with, but also bringing those very diverse set of people onto our leadership mm -hmm. and developing better partnerships across the food movement with very diverse organizations. So I'm really excited to dig more into that area and to see how we can create some tangible work plans in the coming months, the coming years mm -hmm. to do better at that and to grow in that area. Yeah, absolutely. That's something I'm really happy that there's been more buzz about lately that people seem to really be interested in listening and really interested in actually taking action and not just sort of like, you know, things that are formalities or, you know, diversity formalities, but really taking into account what underrepresented communities have to say. So 
yeah, it's an act of being humble as well. I think sometimes we, can I say white people present themselves as knowing all the answers and having connections, and I think we really have to take a chill pill on that and <laughs> be humble and listen yeah. really intently and learn from other people and, and respect what they say to create some, some room um, to bring all the diverse voices to the table. Yeah, especially in things like food ways, where how can we possibly be the experts on these ancient ways of food that people have been preparing in their own communities for thousands of years, you exactly. know? Something we, particularly in food, I think, have a lot of listening and learning to do. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of which, I actually didn't know this until I looked at your bio for this interview, but you've lived in some really, really cool places around the world. I saw um, Vietnam, Uganda, Papua New Guinea, so first of all, I want to hear a little bit more about those and how that came to be. And then also, what are some differences in how you saw people growing and consuming food there versus here in America? So my first trip out of the country was to Papua New Guinea. And I, was, um, I spent a summer with an ethnomusicologist in a very rural village in Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea is an amazing place with um, such rich geographical diversity. Um, and there's actually like 800 languages spoken in PNG. So it's like, wow. <laughs> just because uh, the geography creates a lot of isolation and these different languages develop over so many years. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was Papua New Guinea. I went to Uganda during school. It's kind of a study abroad internship experience. And then I lived mm-hmm. in Vietnam for a year between college and grad school. Um, and I lived with a host family. I was working at a nonprofit organization doing some urban um, urban communications kind of work. Okay. Yeah, and all, so of these, cool. <laughs> all of these places, I think the food um, is much more localized. I mean, especially in Papua New Guinea, there's no, obviously no grocery store yeah. to get to. There's no electricity or running water in the village where I was. So everything mm-hmm. was, um, you know, a hunter-gatherer kind of situation. Wow. I ate grubs for the first time. Oh my gosh, you did? Like yeah. plain? And they roast them. <laughs> they roast them? Yeah. Wow. And they have some really interesting food traditions where they, um, it's called a moo where they bury food under the ground with coals and they cover it for hours. Dang. I think and I have heard of that. Yeah, wow. Very um, cool. Same in Vietnam. I mean, in Vietnam, my host mom would go shopping every day at the local market. Mm. Um, and that's the kind of... I think in the United States we have such a different relationship with our food. I don't know about you, but I go grocery shopping, you know, once a week. Yeah. I buy, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables that last a few days, and then I turn to you know, couscous and um, yeah, more shelf-stable things. But um, you know, the the daily shop and the daily um, kind of interaction with food was so much um, more of an everyday occurrence in those places. Another thing I wanted to ask you, since you have a background in communications. I'm curious. Um, I find that when advocating for things, it's easy to know what you want to change about a food system, and it's a lot harder to know how to go about it Mm -hmm. because you could start at the very local level or you could try to join a coalition and go straight for the federal level or something like that. And then there's, yeah, also the matter of do you go the policy route or try to change culture and how people view the issue? And so just wondering what your takeaways have been from being in this work for so long. And do you think, what are your, your strategies and tips for people who know what they want to change and they don't know how to change it? 
can be overwhelming to see all the options in food and all the problems in food. If you start, you know, the more you've researched, the more kind of daunting it can be, like, where can I possibly start? Mm -hmm. So I think what's important is to pick one thing that you really care about and you can get your hands around and to dig into that one thing and really try to understand it, try to connect with people. I think that's the strength of Slow Food is that we have, a, you know, this global network and I think, you know, using a network like Slow Food to connect with other people and really start to understand the humanity behind the food is so key to starting to change our behaviors and having a deeper understanding of food. So I think that's the communications background of, of um, my experience here is just like telling those stories and, yeah. and making connections with other people in food, but not getting overwhelmed, you know, if you feel like you're um, swamped with guilt or whatever, just mm -hmm. pick a thing and really focus on that thing and then um, talk to other people about it and try to get a broader, from there, try to get a broader understanding of food. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something I've been trying to do with this podcast a little bit mm -hmm. is use my background in journalism and storytelling and bring that to these really dense food policy topics that the average person doesn't really want to spend time digging into. I want to make it more of an accessible story so that they can, because I'm sure people care about these things. Food is something that affects all of us. So they just need to know what's going on and how we can work together to fix it. So I think policy in particular is an area right for that because it's complicated. Yeah. It's many layers and, um, you know, historical legislation that gets um, part of it to be part of the conversation. So I really appreciate your approach and we'll Working together with you, okay, let's make a story out of this and yeah. help people understand how to engage. Absolutely. So I'm sure one part of um, running an organization as you do is always making sure that it's evolving and growing um, to meet the current demands of this food movement. So what are some evolutions that Slow Food USA is undergoing right now? I mentioned the EIJ conversation already, mm -hmm. this equity, inclusion, and justice piece of really how do we integrate these values into our events, into our partnerships. That's a really key piece of what we're looking at moving forward. And then also, you know, I talk to a lot of people in the network and I see a lot of isolation within various components of the network. You know, the policy group is working really well in its, in its calls and its activities. The, each chapter is doing great work on the ground, but they don't necessarily know each other or are connected with each other. So I'm trying to create a more regional structure where we can collaborate across state borders, across themes. Yeah. You know, let's connect the Cooks Alliance with the school gardens, with the policy, with the Soulfish, and see what kinds of interesting projects and collaborations we can come up with. You know, can we band together to create um, efficiency of scale and better collaboration? One of my favorite things is just connecting people with each other. Oh, you're doing, do you know this person? Let me connect you. Yeah. I'm kind of serve as the, um, the bridge between people and try to get out of the way too. Okay, now these totally. people are connected. Like, what kind of project can we come up with? Or what kind of thing can we pitch to a foundation? It's exciting yeah. to see. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love connecting people. Yeah. So thank you so much for connecting thank with you, me today. Uh, this was pleasure. so great. Wonderful conversation. Wonderful. Thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you for listening. I hope you like interviews because I'm going to be posting a lot more of them very soon. I actually have some really cool guests lined up in the next few weeks. If you want to get more involved with Slow Food USA, you can sign up for their newsletter and check out their website to find out if there's a chapter near you. All right. Thanks. Take care.